Hello and welcome to The Shortest Path. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Theo Fobimi Stone, who is a multi-talented individual who DJs as one half of 404 Eros, co-owns a record label called Scenic Root, and is currently the director of global project managers at Excel Recordings. Now, this conversation is far-ranging, as you would expect. We talk about the evolution of his career, starting off as a marketing graduate at Red Bull to landing his dream job at Excel Recordings. We'll go through that whole journey. We'll also be talking about how COVID-19 kind of forced him to reflect upon his goals, his aspirations, where he wants to get to and how he discovered the Ikigai framework and put it into place and, you know, what the outcome of that was. So without further ado, let's get to the show. So what's up? What's happening? (laughs) I'm well, I'm well. So as I was preparing for this, yeah. I was trying to find a way to describe you and what you do. And I had a very, very hard time doing it because there's writer, DJ, campaign manager, tastemaker, um, Nigerian-Jamaican. <laughs> there's a lot of different words to say, but like, how, how would you describe yourself? Oh, I did ask you if you are going to make me introduce myself. So there you go. Um, how would I describe myself? Um, it's a tough question, I guess all of those things potentially to be true. Mm. Um, maybe uh, a curator maybe would be something that covers a lot of that. Um, from DJing side of things like, yeah, curating sets and music and radio. Um, from a label side of things, I'm curating uh, a roster of artists from like the tape series we do, curating and bringing together, yeah, creative talents together and kind of creating one, yeah, bringing people together. Curator might be the best. Yeah, curator. The best. Yeah, I like that. That's, I like that. Yeah. That's what you're going with. <laughs> I'm going to go and stick with that for now. I'm going to change it in two questions. <laughs> All right, cool. Okay, cool. And so then, if you think about your evolution or your journey to becoming, mm-hmm. say, the curator that you are today, mm-hmm. what was the first step? Like, how did it all start? Maybe start from your career, as it were. From the beginning, we can yeah. we can start from um, from uni because that's that's how we know each other. Yeah. Um, do you remember when um, I've always obviously loved music and that's always been something I've been passionate about? But like a lot of people who are nineteen don't necessarily know the infrastructure of an industry they want to get into and what jobs exist in that space. Um, so I didn't even know there was opportunities and jobs in in music world. I just knew I really enjoyed music and that was something I had a passion for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it kind of started with, do you remember when me and Clem used to do, um, a mutual friend of ours, Clem, used, we used to do these kind of challenges where we'd put music up on Oh, Facebook. yes, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. yeah and we'd see, yeah, yeah. like, who got the most votes and, like, what song was, like, popping that no one had heard before. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, that was kind of the insights into me knowing I wanted to kind of do something in, in that space. And then after uni, um, started working for Red Bull. Um, and that was a grad scheme, so you got to kind of like figure out what you wanted to do in that space. And one of the teams I started working for was called the Activation Team. But in essence, what they did is did marketing um, around different themes that Red Bull covered. So it was either sports and then they were invested in music at that time. So I'll be doing a lot of the international 
music campaigns. Oh, so straight off the back from uni, you went straight into, like when you went into Red Bull? Yeah. Because what attracted you to Red Bull in the first place? Because mm. I remember, I guess, if you think about the perception of Red Bull then versus now, like mm. then it was very, very drinks focused. Yeah. I thought like nowadays, if you Google Red Bull, one of the first results is going to be like the F1. More so than yeah, anything. ironically, I guess it, it's changed quite a lot in the last 10 years. But when I got, when I was there, they were very invested in music. F1 was relatively new, um, but still something there was a lot of energy into. And then also sport as well in, in a broader sense. But yeah, it was very, it's a big company essentially. And each kind of department has its own focus. And ours was marketing as a whole. And then I specifically was focusing on the music side of things. And I was living in Austria at that time because that's where the grad scheme took place, which is quite. That was a big jump. Though. That was a big jump. Like, yeah. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed visiting you in yeah, Austria. Yeah. Like I still remember going to the Red Bull complex, and it was like, it's like a fairy tale. Yeah, it's mad. <laughs> if you ever Google the um, HQ of Red Bull in Austria, it's crazy. It looks like a Bond villain's lair, yeah. which is quite mad. Um, but then moved back to London and kind of stuck in that same space is wanting to do yeah music marketing essentially and the campaigns that revolved around that uh but then kind of hit a ceiling there because i wanted to do more things in music and as much as i liked it i feel like maybe the actual autonomy of what artists we book what events we do who's involved the format of these kind of things and i felt that i didn't have much as much say as i would like to have in those in those things and so my thinking was, how do I do something where I'm able to be um, more in at the focal point of, of events, working with artists? And so I knew that that's what I, I wanted to do more of, but I really didn't know what, what that looked like. I didn't know what now seems like quite simple things, actually. I didn't know what a manager did. I didn't know what a booking agent was. Kind of understood the role as, as, as a label. But in that kind of space of time of me quitting Red Bull, I started my own uh, club nights uh, called Scenic Group, which then became a few years later my label. It went from finishing up at Red Bull, starting my own thing on the side, which is very autonomous. I kind of booked with the other two, which artists would play at the night, um, what venue we'd do it at, what the kind of curation of that night would look like. And also did a few nights with uh, other friends as well. But that got me into a really understanding of like, and motivated to really be the decision maker in those kind of creative endeavors. So it's like you wanted to not just focus on one aspect of music, you still wanted to be involved in a lot of different areas. Right? Yeah, like, I think it was yeah. just more like, where, where can I have an opportunity to showcase my interests and the artists and music that I am interested and excited by and how can I share that? And I think even then, till now, that's still probably the foundation of, of what I decide to be involved in. Mm -hmm. And I guess after the club nights and finishing off at Red Bull, I took a year, it turned out to be less than a year, it turned out to be like eight months or so, where I was doing freelance bits on the side to just pay for like rent and stuff and food. But in the meantime, I was asking a lot of questions. I was hitting people up for like, I had lunch with like a, Booking agent, realised I didn't want to do that. Mm. <laughs> I had lunch with um, someone who works at a label, big them up now, Sean. And then a lot of other like um, disciplines within music, just to figure out what it is, what the lay of the land is. Because, I mean, we were saying this just before, I guess there's a lot of creative industries, there's a lot of gatekeeping. And so that information isn't like so readily available. 
Um, so just those initial conversations allowed me to kind of be like, oh, I'm going to try my hand at management. Mm. So I tried managing a friend of mine. Uh, that takes being very clear with your expectations of where you want this to go uh, and vice versa. And, and then what kind of work that was involved and both being aligned on that's what needs to be done. And if for whatever reason, one or the other isn't kind of moving in the same direction, then it's probably best to part ways. So then I guess because when you were having your conversations, did you have a conversation with a manager? And then yeah, I had a, a, yeah, well. I had a yeah. conversation with a manager who told me what is exactly a management manager's responsible for. And it's very much a partnership with that artist of how you build, help build their audience and essentially make their music heard by more people. Um, and depending on the relationship with the artists, um, I guess input on the creative, uh, maybe even input on the music. I mean, if you really believe in the musician, I don't think your input in the music should be overly heavy. Mm. Um, but this is, so this is interesting because um, if we go back to when you were at Red Bull mm. and you're doing both sports, you were doing music, then you came back to the UK, but you decided to say, I actually want to go more frontline with it. Mm. Why didn't you think to yourself, okay, I could stay within Red Bull and kind yeah. of work up the ranks and therefore I don't have to, like I've already got all the resources mm. available to me. So then it's an easier sell when I'm trying to get artists or the current artists on the roster, yeah. I can do their campaigns at a much higher level at that point. It's a good question. I guess um, within Red Bull, the way it's structured, I sat in, a team, I guess, that didn't really allow for that. I think I got, as, I felt like I got as far as I could, mm -hmm. looked up and was like, do I want my manager's job? And the answer was no. Mm -hmm. And so rather than trying to move from another team to another team, I just felt like I needed a fresh start, to be honest. I just felt like there wasn't anyone's job in that company that I wanted. Oh, wow. I literally was looking around, I was like, mm, maybe I'll go for that. Mm -hmm. But even then, like in two years, I could see myself not wanting to do that. Mm -hmm. So there didn't feel like anything like that I could say for three years, I'd stay at that company and in a new role. Mm -hmm. um, so it just felt like it was the right time. The right time to go. Yeah. And I imagine being in Austria, mm -hmm. like that in itself is not the most, I mean, it's a nice country, but it's not the most glamorous places yeah, to go so to small, work at Red Bull. Right? It's so small, especially when yeah. you grow up in London, you realize as well, like Salzburg is 150,000 people. It's like the size of Coventry. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. it's not... Much more beautiful, though. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, much more beautiful in some ways, but also it's like, no black people. <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, I guess in terms of diversity and that affecting mm. in terms of, like, what there is to eat, what there is to do, like, culturally, what's interesting, it's definitely lacking, but the deal I had there was really good. I had a car, and I think people don't really appreciate when you've got a car and you're on continental Europe. You, got you can go anywhere. Mm. I get to like Germany in an hour. Mm. Get to... You met us in Prague. That's yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. Four hour drive, picked you guys up in Prague. Mm. We came back to Austria. So it's quite... Yeah, that was, that was a really amazing time to do that as well, quite young. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think with Red Bull, it kind of just reached this natural conclusion and I was very ready. Yeah, very ready to start again somewhere. But that experience, did it teach you anything, like any oh, lessons? Massively, massively. I think even as a person, I think moving, moving to uni, you kind of, it's your big first move and you figure out what it is, like how to live on your own. 
but I think in Austria, without any kind of um, defaults to fall back on of like people you know or like things you know, kind of are starting a lot from like scratch and just like understanding what it is you like. So I think I grew up, I grew a lot personally as a human being in a two, three year. And then also you meet people from so many different backgrounds and so many different perspectives. Mm. And so just hearing all those different back like stories and just how people have lived and, and where people have lived. And I had a friend from Hong Kong, friend from Leeds, friend from Valencia, Amsterdam. And so just hearing just your, your world just grows exponentially. Mm. Of, um, of perspectives, and that's always super valuable. From a work perspective, I learned, I got, I learned more about what the music industry is, actually, because we would be dealing with, um, or some of the teams would be dealing with managers and booking agents and artists, and you then get an understanding of like, oh, there's a whole world over there I don't really have any understanding of. I kind of need to start again somewhere else to kind of get that, and so, so what was that conversation like um, to your parents? So oh, saying that you want to take a break from work completely because yeah. I know for me personally, when I quit my job, like I didn't tell my dad until I had things settled out kind of thing. I didn't even tell him I was thinking about doing yeah, it yeah. because I just didn't want to give him that set, set of uncertainty, yeah. you know? And I think, um, especially depending on the background that you're from, there's a lot of focus on just making sure you have all your ducks in a row, but sometimes yeah. it's not possible. Yeah. yeah, they're different generation as well. I think that generation is like, like why? Like why? Like you've got you've got something good. Stick it out. But I think, fortunately, with my dad's background, he's been like always been very entrepreneurial. Because he was a teacher. Then he worked for Warner Brothers, and then he started like mobile phone shops when they were just kind of blowing up, and then kind of went into property. So he's kind of done lots of different things. Mm. And so I think he understood that like, yeah, naturally just switch up. And mm. so I think I was quite um, open to having that conversation. What what became more of a frank conversation is that I needed somewhere to live, <laughs> which became more of an interesting conversation. For a short period. There. What do you mean? You said because you're coming back. Yeah, to UK. Well, I've come, I've come, I came back to the UK yeah. at that point. Was kind of living with, with my ex girlfriend or girlfriend at the time, and all between that. And then when I quit my job at, in the UK in Red Bull, because I came from Austria Red Bull to UK Red Bull, um, and after a couple of year or year, I was just like, mm, I'm gonna quit. And I was like, I kind of, if I'm going to quit, I have this much saved, but I can pay most of that to them in rent. Mm. And I could just like not have to be stressed out. Yeah, yeah. So that was a very, I appreciate them for having, being like very like easy about that, to be honest. And not everyone's got that privilege of even having their family in the city they live in, yeah. let alone like to be able to live with them still. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, very grateful. But it wasn't, it wasn't as challenging as I thought it might be, to be honest. Yeah, they were very understanding. That's good. That's good to hear. I think um, it's always important. Well, it's nice when you have that kind of grace yeah. where your parents allow you to figure things out because I think that naturally when you go through the school, when you go through uni, especially if you have a placement and you go mm -hmm. straight into the job where you had a placement mm -hmm. with, it's easy to see all the steps in front of you. Mm -hmm. And when you're trying to follow your own heart or you think that there's something more out there for you, there's not necessarily a guidebook for that. You kind of have to figure out for yourself what you want to do. Yeah. And But I guess you're lucky because you knew it was music, right? Mm. Like, I guess, did you grow up in a music household? No, no? not really, to be honest. I think um, growing up now, I look back and I'm like, looking retrospectively at like, what, what was the music background in my house? Say so my mum is way more taste 
mm. and way like broader sense of music. So she would like be listening to like I mean India Irie, Music Soul Child, Amy Winehouse, The Cranberries, like all relatively soulful stuff, but then some like tinges of indie stuff as well actually. Lots of lovers rock. So there was there was there was it. I don't think I maybe took it in. I think I think some people when they're kids they can go either two ways. They either like absorb what their parents love or completely reject right it. Yeah, yeah. I think I rejected it until like my like twenties <laughs> and I was like hearing stuff that they're playing. I was like, oh actually. This is really good. This is actually really good. so yeah, I think um, my musical background wasn't massive. I think where I knew I loved music actually was my godfather used to take me for my birthday every year to see, there's like two CD shops. I really don't know if they exist anymore. Oh, um, CDs, in, not yeah, records. Yeah, not records, gone, yeah. CD shop in Brixton. They did sell records, I'm sure. I just, that format wasn't relevant to me at the time. But he used to take me every year and I used to get all like stacks and stacks of hip hop albums. And I used to, I got Wu-Tang Clan, 36 Chambers, Nas, Godson, Jay-Z, Reasonable Doubt, that was like my first, like that's when I loved, my first like love of music was hip hop. So that's why I used to get like, my education was that and then rinse those CDs for the whole year. Guess what my first um, single that I bought was? I know, what I, mine was was. I know what mine was and mine's not that, that <laughs> tasteful. So uh, I'll give you all the great streams. Um, mine was, Get your free card, Missy Elliott. Yeah. See, yours is that's good. <laughs> that's good. That's not even just like oh, yeah. that's, I need, bro, that's I gold. Know the every single like I know every single word to that track. Yeah, mine was not that tasteful. Mine yeah. was quite embarrassing actually. <laughs> Do you remember that? I remember it. Uh, Will Smith getting jiggy with it. That's not bad. Ah, that's bad, man. Why? Missy Elliott. I'd still listen to that today. You yeah, but come back, come back. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to Miami. That's a classic, though. Yeah, come on, come on. The sample's cold, but yeah, uh, yeah not, not, not proudest of the first, but after that, it was, it was clear, smooth sailing. Okay, fair, fair, yeah. fair. So, so you're working through like your list of all these different areas of music that you're interested in. So, you mm. to labels, you to managers. Yeah. Um, what did you have anything to help you on like framing what you wanted to do? Because at the time, were you did you start working again, or were you? I was still working, but I was freelance, doing like freelancing stuff. Actually, like I only for like a lot of music, um, not a lot, but like people were, or agencies were coming on, and they were like, "Oh, we want to pitch this music thing to Ray and nephew," and I was like, "Okay, cool. I have experience of like pitching ideas for brands, having done that at Red Bull. Like, if you've got an idea, you go through a process of creating a deck, pitching it in." Management is like, yeah or no. And so and that's like if you know if you know the people, you know the people. So you had like a contact book. I had a contact I worked with the person who ended up um I ended up working freelance with is someone who I'd worked with on a project at Red Bull. Um and we had a good relationship. Um and so that that came quite naturally when I told them I was gonna quit, they asked me if I'd be up for doing some bits there. So I was like, Yes, great. That's, it's money. always important to keep those yeah. links, you know. Networking yeah, is key. Networking is key. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, relationships like always important to. If, if there's people you gravitate towards, always people. It's always good to keep those relationships strong. You never know when you like want to call up on that person and ask a favour and vice versa. So, <laughs> so you were going through that list um, whilst you were freelancing, essentially. Mm -hmm. So then, when did you? So you were doing the nights, the nights house. Was that just yeah. you throwing a party? That was me throwing parties. Yeah, yeah. that was me, uh, John and Sean at the time throwing parties. Three parties. 
No, not necessarily. Like ticketed, but all like relatively cheap. You're not paying more than a tenner. Why? Why did you do parties? Like parties? Just at the time, I was starting to DJ. Okay. So it gave okay, me an outlet to DJing as well. So then you could. So then if you thought about doing music and with the other, say, the more business aspects of mm. things, right? Then there's the artistic creative side of yeah, things. Yeah. So you decided to go down the DJing route. Yeah, so you could have been a producer, MC. No, yeah, I guess DJing, DJing. I feel of those those three you mentioned is probably the most accessible. I think um, you really got to back yourself as an MC, which I didn't. <laughs> um, production requires, I think, a lot more time, investment, knowledge, hardware, motivation. I think all you essentially need in this day and age is a USB. I guess I started on vinyl. Um, so all you needed was like, I guess, two turntables. And at the time, that was costing me like 150 pounds each. So 300, kind of you need three, 400 pounds to get started, really. Um, Did it start as a hobby? Or oh, just, yeah. yeah. Even to this, to this day, because of how I work and how other, I've got other revenue streams in, essentially, I don't rely on it for money. Mm. So I can keep it quite pure, to be honest. Mm. I can keep it very... Like, I will do something because I think it's interesting or fulfilling when it comes to DJing versus, like, bank. Don't get twisted. <laughs> you want to get paid? So Theo can do free gigs now. <laughs> yeah. But, like, if it's, if it's, like, a friend and it's a small party and it's, like, 150 club and I'm like, that looks like it could be a vibe, that, that is a conversation where I'm open to a fee conversation. The less... The more corporate it becomes, the more, more money I want for it. Yeah. Because it's not, no, it's no longer... It's not your money, money. it's business yeah, money. Yeah, exactly. It's no longer a, a creative decision. It's a business decision at that point. Um, and so, yeah, so shout out a couple brands. Last <laughs> <year>. <laughs> I was going to name them, but I felt like, uh, nah. You want to get that next gig book? Yeah, next gig, like... that next gig. <laughs> Check out the comments. Leave the comments in the comments. Uh, but yeah, I started, I think around that time, that's probably what I should have said as well. I think around that time I was finishing up at Red Bull, I just started DJing, got a radio show on a local radio station, getting a bit of interest. The label, I wouldn't say it was doing particularly well, but we put out, we started, the party became a label. At what point? At the point I just started leaving Red Bull. Okay. So I actually made some very good friends at Red Bull. One who I still work with on the label, Scenic route and initially a party, um, and another um, shout out Sean Keating. He um, is in the band of the second act that we signed, but he he just sent me some music. We always sent music to each other, but he sent me some music one day, and I was just like, "Oh, this is cold. Who's this?" He's like, "Oh, it's my band." I was like, "Oh, nice. he didn't that tell me you were in the band." So yeah. that was that was really nice. And so the first two projects we put out were from friends who had asked us. Because at that point, we were just operating as a party. They're like, you guys have got good taste. Like, what do you think I should do with this? And they're like, they were like, would you be interested in putting it out? And we're like, we're not a label. Mm. But that gave us a lot of confidence to then become a label. Because for anyone who wants to start a label, you just you need music. As, yeah. a, as, a, as, an, as a starting point, you need music that you want to put out there. Mm. And so that was available. And then because we'd been doing OK financially from the parties, we were able to put that money into starting a label. Mm -hmm. So from a business perspective, that's kind of how we funded those first couple of releases because they were vinyl releases, which costs 
considerably more than a digital release. Like how much more? Why do people do vinyl versus digital? That's a, it's a great yeah. question, Yemi. Great question yeah. that I find myself asking every <laughs> release we, we work on because I think there's, in all of this, in, in the label way, we should, as if you work at a label, you should, how I see things is that the artist is in charge, essentially, to an extent, mm. um, of, their, of, their, of their art. And so if that's a request they have and they want that, and a lot of the time it's a positioning thing. A lot of the times like, I want to be able to see my physical record in a record shop when I go in there. Mm. And they want that kind of almost, um, I would say elevation, but it, it just feels very real. It feels nice. Yeah. It feels very real. I think it, 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 I make it sound very uh, like a vanity thing, but it is. Not but like, to a degree. To a degree like, if, exactly. you, if you're a creator, you always want to be able to see it and feel it. And exactly. I think in this world where everything has become digital, yeah. everything's streaming, like, how often is it we can get close to people? And I feel like when people can actually go out and buy mm. something physical from you, it can be yeah. a match, but if it's say an actual like record, you know that's a real fan. Yeah, exactly. And and for me, I was someone who collects and DJs with records. I'm a big, I, I love records, especially when someone's put a lot of consideration in how it looks and, and what it presents. And so I think it's always an ongoing question because there are um, environmental issues with plastic obviously as well. Um, and then there's also like, yeah, the, the want of the artist if they really think that's important. Also a decision that comes into factor that, that we also have to consider as a label is how many are you going to press and do you have a big enough fan base to then sell those out? Mm -hmm. Because, it's, well, it was nice having 300 records pressed, but is that going to sit at the foot of my bed mm -hmm. for the next two years until I sell it out? Because I do a lot of sending out from my house and so I've got the records in my room right I don't there, want to be yeah. sitting on like a hundred records um, that's dead stock basically. exactly and so it's a lot of considerations to come when it comes to whether you put physical like vinyl out versus digital and it also begs the question is like is vinyl the best physical option is like a really nice designed tape or is it like a CD or is it a USB or is it a merch item that's like thematic to what the release is. So it's a big question, I think, in, across the music industry as a whole, to be honest, because um, the issue as well as demand and supply, like actually speak to anyone who works at a semi-sized label, you, to put your music out on, on vinyl, it's take, it takes about six months now. Oh, wow. It used to be three months, really, as a max, and now because of the demand. Demand and how many actual um, pressing plants exist in the, in the world, it's just not enough. There's just so, there's, there's too many requests coming in for not enough actual supply of a stock or pressing plants. So I think a lot of artists are asking themselves that, do I want to wait a year essentially to put my records out or is it fine on digital for now? So I guess for you as a label, um, the value that you add is being able to put people's music out and also to give them the financial backing to do the records. Yeah, and exactly, like that. exactly. If you're sitting there at home and you're making music and your main priority isn't selling yourself or marketing or like you come to us and that is what we do essentially and have the connections to hopefully get your music on radio, hopefully get some nice press written hopefully help to sell it. Um, so, um, you can 
excuse my ignorance, but like, how would that differ from, say, being a music manager? Or would you work closely yeah, with the manager? So it's, it's, so? there's, there's, there's some lines in there, for sure. There's some blurred lines in there, for sure. But essentially, the label is responsible for the release. Mm. I think a contract will be a very long one, <laughs> and it will have all different nuances in there. But essentially, depending on the terms of the deal, let's say it's one album, um, you are responsible for working with that artist on the, on the terms of that one release. A manager, that's long term. That's long term. That's, that's long term. That's thinking about beyond that release. That's thinking about touring. That's thinking, even though a booking agent will really be doing that for you, you'd be having a very much an input into that. That's like, how do we grow you beyond working with, let's say, that one label? Maybe I'm going to go to the next label for that second or third release. Uh, what does that look like in terms of partnerships? A manager should be looking at all types of ways of building the audience and getting your artists paid more. Mm. Like, is that remixes? Is that like getting them featured on someone else's track? That's all a manager's, manager's I say, um, yeah, responsibility. Because, yeah, I don't know, for some reason, I've always felt that the label was a bit more involved in some of those decisions being made because, I don't know, like, I felt like they kind of manage, they can manage the whole artist persona from yeah. front to back as well as the tours that they do because they can also take a cut from that. Mm. Any releases that they do, any merch they do, even their, like I said, yeah. the brand as well. We don't necessarily, so... Maybe I'll give a bit of background on, on speed up my... Yeah, yeah, story yeah, because yeah. only because it would maybe give context as to why I can maybe answer those questions on a bigger level rather than my small label. But I guess past working on Red Bull, I worked at Resident Advisor, which we can dip into at some point if you want to. And then most recently in the last two years, I joined XL Recordings and that kind of boasts artists on the label like, I guess most famously, who's no longer on the label, but Adele. Mm -hmm. Um, gigs, gigs, yeah. Nines has mm -hmm. released on there. Um, Sampha, mm -hmm. Arthur, Jill Scott Heron. Yeah, the list goes on. So it's quite. Um, we've worked with bigger acts, and so I guess how I can, how I have maybe some credentials to answer your question <laughs> previously is that yeah, I guess how managers and labels work together um, is very different, artist per artist and manager per manager. I have had the pleasure of working with some amazing managers. Also had the, the process of working with some managers who are maybe not as on top yeah. as they could be. A bit scatty. Yeah. Yeah. And so you do pick up, you do pick up some. You do, yeah, you do pick up the slack on some of those, and you and you do feel yourself inputting. And sometimes you just have a really good relationship with the artist and manager where they welcome your input on things. I think I work. I work with. Um, an actor that I really enjoy working with, and they're very open to me suggesting things that go beyond my job role mm. because they, they like input. And, you, and then do you use that as a, like a testing ground, essentially, for what you can do with Scenic Group? Yeah, so it's, it's really, I'm really fortunate to be in a place where I work. My, I mean, my long-term goal is in one day to be able to have a label that allows me to live off of that mm. and it's a really amazing opportunity to be testing that out <laughs> with one of the best independent labels in the in the world essentially so 
yeah, it's very transferable, the skills. Mm -hmm. And um, I've learned a lot in the two years I've been there about just how, how it all works, to be honest, because even running a label, <laughs> I was doing it so blindly. Like, we were, we were doing it so blindly. We just... Winging it. Yeah, winging it. And that's... I mean, sometimes you just got to hope you can... Hope you can swim, you know? Mm. Like, you just oh, got sure. to sure. dive in and sort of figure it out sometimes. Mm. Like, I think... Um, and hope you don't make too many expensive mistakes. Yeah, yeah. It feels like all of the steps that you've taken, they kind of easily flowed into the next one. Mm. Um, is that designed by... Is that designed, like, on purpose? Did you have anything to kind of guide you into that journey to say, OK, I want to make sure I'm at a major record label at some point? Yeah, yeah. I had the fight for like, at that point that I quit Red Bull and I was having meetings with people. There's a colleague I really got on well at Red Bull and he was like, oh, my girlfriend's friend works at XL, you should chat to her. So we got lunch and after that lunch, I was like, I want that job. Okay. I literally was like, I want that job. So fast forward, maybe it was that four or five years after that. Got that job. Got there. Okay. Yeah, so. <laughs> That was, I've always had that in, in my mind's eye, that's, that's kind of what I wanted. But there was a process during COVID where I wasn't, where I was working, I think the first six to eight months of COVID. And I was like everyone at home contemplating their future life, and life <laughs> looking very introspectively. But yeah, just trying to figure out what I wanted to do next and how, and if that Excel thing was still something I wanted to do. And I started reading into just certain ways of like questioning myself. And I had a really good conversation with my friend Javier, who's like a life coach. And he was like, oh, have you heard about Ikigai? And I was like, I don't know what that is. Um, and he explained that it's a Japanese term for like self-fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And um, there's kind of a like diagram and format and model you can, it's almost like a diagram that you can start inputting in your own details to to get I guess your ikigai your self-fulfillment understanding of self and what inspires you and what you want to work on essentially real quick like mm. elevator pitch <laughs> ikigai it's four concentric circles at the top is what you love doing I think the next one is what you're good at the bottom one is what you can be um, paid for mm -hmm. and then the, fur the furthest on the right is um, what the world needs more of mm -hmm. And what you start doing is inputting all your answers into that. And everyone's will be different because what you enjoy doing and what you're good at will all be Quite very specific yeah. to yourself. And then from that, you start crossing over things that are like, that gives you your profession, your vocation. It gives you just a lot of, for me, it just reaffirmed and made it very crystal clear the things that I wanted to do. And some of those things were working with artists really closely to campaign manage and to essentially be a part of their creative process beyond the music to, yeah, to build them as artists. Mm -hmm. And I wrote iterations of that and it's very manifestation, if you believe in manifestation, which I, I do. Two months later, I got the call from Excel and they asked me if I wanted to interview for a um. job that was campaign managing. So once I was very clear on what it is I wanted to do, which I felt was maybe always at the back of my head, this, this, this was very reaffirming to know that this is actually, yeah, this is, these are things. And if it's not Excel, is that managing an artist? Is that working 
back in in club nights when when things turn back on again and is that working with like collectives and artists and so yeah and then, the, then to be honest it wasn't just the job that got me that I got from that process and the, what the world needs more of I felt that the world needs to hear more stories of marginalized people and perspectives and stories of people that may have been originators of things but not have got the kudos or the the accolades they deserve and didn't get their flowers um, so there was things I expanded on from that thinking as well which was like um, the write some writing stuff some doing some telling some stories in that way I did like a project for resident advisor which was about essentially covering a hundred black artists that RA haven't covered in the past and try to tell the stories of a lot of those artists and so we, we, we did that story we did that project really successfully and that also allowed us to pay because a lot of the writers were black or are black who wrote on that project. And so that allowed me to help essentially nine other black writers get, get paid. paid. That's amazing. And so that was that was like a good good project to be involved in. But that all came from just doing that little task and it's interesting because um if COVID didn't happen, mm. you were still DJing. Mm. So your route could have been completely different because the club could nights been. could have still been happening. So yeah. outside of being a manager, doing this type of job, being a label owner, it could also be you being an artist yourself. Yeah, it could have been that. It could have been that. I've got a lot of friends who are that and um, not sure I'm cut out for the life. I think I'm a bit more, uh, my pace is a bit slower for life. I think I, I enjoy it. I love dipping into it and I love playing music and I love that side of things. But also, I'm just very aware of what I do like about club spaces. Mm -hmm. And more often than not, that's like hearing music I love, which for the most part doesn't get played in venues of a thousand people. Yeah. And so like, if that's your ambition to, to essentially be a DJ who can pay their rent and have a life off of that and potentially buy a house and stuff, mm -hmm. it kind of means you need to be, you need to be playing at those kind of venues. You need to be making enough money to support that lifestyle and so then your decision making becomes business mm. and that would take all the joy out of it for me so for I you think. it's like djing is just more of your you want to keep it as a hobby yeah. because i feel like nowadays there's so much pressure for people to monetize their mm. hobbies like i've even felt myself yeah. before um and like now it just takes away the purity of it, it takes it takes yeah. away the fun like yeah. even working in in as a late as like my life now is is music in the sense I run a label and, and then work for a label. Even that, I have to check myself sometimes on my relationship with music because I'm just like, damn, I've listened to like no music necessarily I'm going to listen to today. Mm -hmm. And that's like... That's, and that's working at Excel. That's working. But it's not, not I wouldn't, I don't like it. Mm -hmm. I haven't chosen to listen to this. It's like, oh, I have to listen to this because we're going to be working with this artist yeah. or, well, this artist has got, who's in adjacent to an artist we're working with has done this live stream. I should check that out. So it becomes, big parts become work, work that's enjoyable because it's more fun than a lot of things that I, I don't enjoy. But my relationship has changed with music mm. and DJing, I can, I can hold on to that. that. I can hold on to that. No one's touching <laughs> that. So that's what's fun about that. Yeah. So that, is yeah. that what keeps you like interested in the scene without it yeah. just becoming? Yeah. It's yeah. very honest. I think my relationship with that is, mm. um, yeah, I love it. How about like, some of the other artists that you might have met, so some of your idols, right? Has there been any... Obviously, we can always talk about the good stuff, but has yeah, there been like yeah. one story where you're like, wow, I should never meet my heroes? 
Um, to be honest, there's only a few people that I like really are like geeked out by that yeah. I probably would avoid meeting because I know that actually <laughs> the disappointment is real. And so there's not too many. I think working in, in it for a while has made me a little bit um, less fan, less yeah. fa like, uh, I don't really lose my shit too often. But, but on that actually, so knowing that some of the people who dedicated so much to their craft mm. ended up neglecting, say, their family life, their personal, mm. life, personal life. And then with you, with all the pies or the plates that you're spinning, mm. is that playing on the back of your mind? Like, how to make sure you don't neglect those relationships? Yeah, 100%. Not because of those people, to be fair, mm. but more because of checking in with myself. I think um, music industry and a lot of creative industries are very interesting because you meet people and work with people who for the most part, have similar interests to you. Therefore, you then end up going to a lot of, also as, alongside that, there's also a lot of events that happen around those things. So I could have two weeks of going to work events and listening to, going to live events with people I work with and who I, I love a lot of the people I work with, I think they're great. And then also a lot of people who you bump into who are more like associates and stuff. Yeah. You can find you're spending more time with those people who aren't necessarily like loved ones, family members or close friends, but end up spending so much more time with those other people because of the, the needs mm -hmm. to be in those spaces with those people. And that, those things are essential as well because it's networking to an extent. It's like being around things you love. You're going to it because you have a passion for this artists or, or music or whatever but you do catch yourself what well, I do catch myself I'm like damn when's the last time I saw like the homies like, yeah like when yeah. it's like mm. especially summertime because yeah. as you're a DJ you're still getting booked like you're doing Glassdoor yeah. you're going you're doing um what's that other place and um, dimensions that's yeah. all you're doing all these bigger places and then hopefully you're going to be touring soon yeah I mean I'm ready to come and like you know, be your bodyguard well, March, or be in, the manager and just Germany, let me know. I'm ready to Germany, go. Germany, if you want to come to Munich with us, yeah. we've got a couple of gigs there in March, so okay, more, cool. than, more than welcome. I'm going to hold you to that. Honestly, I need Glastonbury because I can't get tickets for Glastonbury, <laughs> so I need to get to Glastonbury. I'm waiting for my call-up for Glastonbury again, <laughs> fingers crossed. Okay, cool. Um, so, to wrap up, like, I guess, well, I'm going to ask you two more questions, yeah? So the first one being, what's your long-term vision? So you said about the label, but... What about, is there anything greater than that? Like, is it, so, because you mentioned about giving a voice to, say, like, marginalised voices, does that embed into your plans as well? Yeah. Without putting too much words yeah, in your mouth? Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> good, it's a good question. It's a good question. I feel like um, the way I've got things at the moment, in terms of, like you said, lots of different things. I've got DJing, I've got, I've got a couple projects that are charity projects. I've got um, the label that I work for and the label I run. And so there's lots of different things that satisfy, satisfy different things. I think the marginalised groups and telling those stories, I think I'd like to do some writing again at some point when I have more headspace, because I think someone who's not naturally a writer, it, doesn't come to, it takes a lot of yeah, work, it takes yeah. a lot of work. Um, so hopefully there's something I can engage in with that. But long term, essentially, I think I would like to get to a place in the future where it's fully autonomous, where it's all my ideas and my visions being able to pay. It's not all my ideas, but I guess I've created an infrastructure or company or label that allows me to basically make that my day-to-day -day and pays for that. 
Um, so whatever that looks like, I would, I would like that. And then that hopefully allows me the freedom and time and space to do the other things. Because um, doing all those things together is a lot of time and energy. And um, this is a bit of a segue. Yeah. So I'm into book recommendations. You're into yeah. book recommendations? Yeah, I need okay. to get some more into my life. Okay. So what's the one book that you give or you've recommended or gifted to people the most? Oh, and why? that's a good question. I'm just about to start a book that I've been recommended by about three or four different people. That's not what I asked. I know you didn't ask me, <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to plug this one because I can't think of one myself. <laughs> but Bell Hooks, All About Love. Yeah, yeah, is yeah. something that's been... I heard that's deep, but... Yeah, yeah. I've just bought it, so I'm going to be dipping into that. Uh, and something I've recommended... Oh, man. Oh. I could lie and just say something, but I wanted, I want, oh no, you know what? I've been reading this um, three-part trilogy called The Broken Earth by okay. um, something called N.K. Jemisin, which is really good. But like, if that's for any sci-fi geeks. That's me, like, mate. Have you, yeah. the, have you read The, the Martian? The Martian, no. Yeah, oh, you'll like that. Yeah, okay. The Martian and Wool. Those are two oh, my two sick. recommendations for okay. you. Okay. Um, cool, so that's it. Thanks for joining me today. No, thank you um, Where can we find you? Like, tell us, like, Carnival Lost Tapes, all the rest of yeah, your projects that go on. Yeah, at the I guess if a DJ, from a DJ perspective, if you want to book me in that, uh, it's uh, at 404.eros, E-R-O-S. And then if you're looking at um, looking at the label, that scenic route, um, if you just want to see some nice pictures of things I eat, Theo underscore Fab. Um, but yeah, those, those, are, those are my my tags and bits and pieces. But yeah, thank you for having me. No worries, man. Until next time. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs>